Brothers and sisters, I just uh, want to begin with our PowerPoint here. Uh, the title is, uh, I guess we've got the lights out enough that you can see this. The title, Israel 101. That is the basics, but I'm not going to give you too many of the basics, but I got another number coming up that 101 fits nicely with another number coming up that we're going to get into, and so we'll go into it. Let me begin with a prayer. Father, I want to thank you for uh, our family here from Eastern Camp that has gathered together in this meeting, and I pray that your blessing upon this teaching, Father, may it be used to give us understanding in where this country and where the world is heading Lord, touch the lips of your servant that I can say the right things and the understanding of your people here, your family here at Harrisonburg, your family that we can understand and use what you give us to see. Surely will not the Lord give insight to his prophets. And in a sense, what we hear, we are all your prophets to pass on to those we love. Father, bless this afternoon in the name of Jesus. Amen. Israel 101 indicates some of the basics. Am I cutting anyone out from what you can see up there? Okay. Um, Let's go on. Um, First, 101 basics about Israel. It is not... One of the nations. Um, I'm happy enough, as I can be, with Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister. He's not quite David, and he's not quite Hezekiah. He's more like some of the others that he, that uh, uh, Brother uh, David spoke about the other night as he got into the book of Second Kings. And some of those guys weren't so hot. And so Netanyahu is okay, but one thing I have a little problem with, he gives in pretty easy to the White House. That's, a bad, that's bad news. Or the White House or to London or, or Paris or wherever. But also he wrote a book some years ago, A Place Among the Nations. And Israel is not one of the nations. I got the... Three superpowers above there, China, Russia, USA, superpowers, financial, economic powers. Uh, What about Christians? I think, unfortunately, a lot of Americans think it's a pretty Christian nation. Uh, Sorry, but actually the president uh, told uh, his people um, when he first came in that this is no longer a Christian nation. I don't know how much the Bible Belt believed him, but uh, it's coming to happen. And also, uh, as far as percentage of Christians in Papua New Guinea and in the South Pacific, I dare say, uh, without too much boasting, because I didn't do it, but the percentage of Christians is nearing 100% in some of these places. The missionaries went to the islands, and from my last latest book that I wrote about the scattering of the seed of Abraham, I dare say that not a few got down 
Pacific way, especially in Papua New Guinea. And um, it's not for the finances, uh, but uh, for the, getting the books out. I uh, appreciate for as many as you, possible of you uh, having a look at that if you got time to read because not all the Hebrews left Egypt with Moses possibly as few as 20% that sounds like heresy to start with but I check it up and the word that is translated they went armed for battle has 10 meanings in Hebrew and uh, the one they chose was the Greco-Roman arm for battle, which is one of ten meanings, but probably the right one was they went out 20%. And uh, this is from the sages, and also finding who I met in Papua New Guinea, it figures. And they go all the way down to South Africa, but that's not what this is about. Uh, the percentage of, of Bible believers, of Christians in the Pacific, uh, there are ten references in Isaiah alone about messianic praise to the Lord in the islands of the sea. It's on my website. And uh, all throughout, they had missionaries coming with no opposition of Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, whatever. But they came to a pagan people who saw, in fact, first, I was, I was in Papua New Guinea about a year. I said, we came to tell you about God. He said, yeah, we know. He lives up there. He's okay. God's okay? Yeah, he's okay. Our problem is down here with the demons. I said, you, they're looking for trouble with their gods. I said, you look to him, and he'll take care of them. And they did, and, he, and uh, they did look to him, and he did, taking care of the demons and actually... That was some of the revival that came from our um, close to 50, over 50 years that we've had there. But anyway, they had a concept of God in the Pacific is probably the highest percentage of Christians. Um, America is flagging. Russia, well, they're not too much into Christians. They're not into Christians at all. They're They're into helping the poor. That is, if everybody's poor, then nobody's poor. So uh, they make everybody poor with the Marxist system. And so there we go. And nobody really has too much. And so that's one way of taking care of, of the poor people is, is creating a, a flat system with everybody in the same boat. And uh, the Islamic Caliphate, oh, China. China more, probably has more... Christians than any other place because of the sheer numbers. The underground church, I understand Nick Vujicic has been, had some contacts over there. I haven't talked to him personally for a long time. But he's been to China. But the underground church, hiding from the government, is overflowing with believers. So that's the biggest uh, place of, of believers. And then the Islamic Caliphate, I mean... Uh, they're on the other side of the coin. And, and if they can kill Jews, that's the only assurance. I don't know if you've seen that in your, uh, in your literature, but this is what the Quran says. If they can kill a Jew, that's a sure ticket. I was going to point up there, but probably I should point down here to their version of glory. Maybe it's not glory, but gory. G-O-R-Y. But anyway, 
Those are the nations, and Israel is not one of the nations. I've got to get on with this thing. I'm talking too many side stories. Israel B, we'll look at that. That's 1 Samuel 8. Kind of, they came to Samuel and said, we want a king like the other nations. Off on the wrong foot already. Samuel said, you'll be sorry. And they were uh, from time to time. But the kings didn't do all that well. As Brother David Freund uh, shared the other night about the decadence of some of the kings. And uh, that was in 1 Samuel. What is Israel if it's not a nation? It's a family. What's Eastern Camp? Family? It's a family. And that's what the Apostolic Christian Church should be. A family. Not a nation. And you might have one over here and one over there and somewhere else. And we might even find a few other churches that have people in there believe just like us. And some of the God's family is tucked away in many, many corners. We want to be as much of God's family as we can be. But uh, that's family. Israel was a family designed by Abraham. Designed by Abraham, designed by God for the family of Abraham to take his message of redemption to the globe. And it was given to the Jews. As long as you be. I went to Israel for two months, and I'm not sure how much I'll have a chance to tell you, but I saw a place. I guess I cry a little bit easier these days than when I was younger. But the tears came running down. A friend of mine that I'm going to get into on this PowerPoint took me all over Samaria to see the empty places that the terrorists say that belongs to them. There's nothing there. It's under control of Israel. But the terrorists would like to have it. But anyway, he took me to a mountain. It's described in Genesis 12, 6. That's three verses after Genesis 12, 3. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. I stood on that mountain. It's where Abraham looked north, south, east, and west. And God says, this is yours. And your family after you. Later he added a little bit, if you behave yourself. Well, you know the story. You read the Bible. We know the Bible. They didn't. And he says, you're going to go out. But something that a lot of Christians don't realize, he said, but in the end of days, Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in the end of days, I'm bringing you back. That's what Elsie and I are about. We don't worship the Jews. We worship the God that put them in a family. We're part of that family whether we got Jewish genetics or not, we're part of that family to take the message. If they failed, he says, I'm coming back. Yeshua, I like to call him Yeshua. That's the Hebrew pronunciation of Jesus. Yeshua said, I'm coming back. And the Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Zechariah tells a lot more about it, of the end of days with the Jewish people. Uh, 
number of you have asked me. I, I got to watch the clock here so I don't go too far, too far afield. I'm telling you stuff that I haven't said in other places. A number of you asked me, do you know this fella that lived near us in New Jersey that wrote The Harbinger? I sure do. We're good friends. I gave him my last book and he gave me The Harbinger. We traded. He says, I like your stuff. And uh, we know each other from a while, but I, heard, I didn't read it yet, but I heard his first two lectures. This was in Grantham, Pennsylvania, where the Messianics meet every year early in July. And I heard him there give the basics in lectures like I'm given now uh, about the, uh, about the, the um, basics of the Harbinger. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, I haven't read it, but I heard the two lectures that it came from, and I know exactly what it's about. But anyway, he had a, a, a teaching the last night. It was a Saturday night when Elsie and I were there just before we came here, or two weeks before we came here. A, a teaching. He said, the first Messianic Jews came from Israel. God told them to take the message all over the world. He said the nations, which I wouldn't cut the Jews out, but certainly the message was, go tell these Gentiles that they're welcome into the family. That was for the first Peter, Andrew, James, John, all the rest of them that came along. And then Rome got a hold of it and it got a bit twisted up. And I'm thinking about some of the things that Rome put on the church and we're still trying to get out of that get out of that but that's what happened what's called the church fathers were Greek oriented and that has been some of the plague of our western thinking and going to Papua New Guinea and some of the mission places that we've seen this morning are a breath of fresh air Aristotle free air Greek thinking free air because some of that Greek stuff even though we're believers gets into our thinking tweaks it a little bit and that's why Papua New Guinea is a breath of fresh air for the believers that are all coming but anyway that's a side point Israel is a catalyst of redemption to the earliest Jews, earliest Messianics take it out and our friend Rabbi Jonathan says he's a he's a Bible believing a, a Yeshua believing rabbi and he says the end of days is when the messianics come back to finish it off to bring the final message go to the gentiles bring them in the body and it's going to go back to israel if you don't believe me read hosea read jeremiah read ezekiel read zechariah it's coming back to israel and that's what we're interested in We took the message to unbelievers in Papua New Guinea. We got 15,000 believers. They're on their own. They're teaching others. We had 70 congregations when we left in 1990 and came down to Australia. 70 congregations. Now they have, as Brother Willie said this morning, 100, I think it's 125. Anyway, 
Israel's not a nation. It's a catalyst. But that's not what I'm going to tell you this afternoon. I've got to get really into it now because we're going to go. Uh, I just told you 101 what the nation is. But now we're going to get to 9-11. Jerusalem's own 9-11. Can you read that? I'm going to read it to you. Jehoiachin. This is, this is a chapter that the brother David, he's getting all around there. And I, and I thought he's going to get to 24. He didn't. The Almighty left that one for me. We got all the rest of it. And Jehoiachin was 18 years old, just a kid, when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done, 2 Kings 24. One of them that David didn't read. Left it for me. Thank you. And uh, at that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, surrendered to him. He took Jehoiachin prisoner. Second Kings 24 again. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin, his young guy, captive to Babylon. I don't know how he got him because he didn't get into Jerusalem at the time. The wall wasn't broken yet. He took him, capped him to Babylon. He made Mataniah. Who's ever heard of Mataniah before? You might have if you read this and memorized it. Because most of us haven't heard of him. He made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place. But we have heard this. He changed his name to Zedekiah. Sure, we've heard of Zedekiah, last king of Judah. But it wasn't really Zedekiah, it was Mataniah. But Nebuchadnezzar changed his name and made him a puppet. And I say this was Jerusalem's 9-11. It was the first. Hey, we're not talking about Obama. We're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar. We're not talking about Zechariah. We're talking about pagan Islam, pagan Babylons taking over Jerusalem as a judgment of God. For a decadent nation of Israel. Okay, we'll we'll go on. I'll I'll, I'll repeat that. Then we go to the fall of Jerusalem. This is a a parallel of this same same study. Parallel of, of 2 Kings 24. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army, laid siege to it. Now get this, it's in yellow. On the ninth day of the fourth month of Zedekiah's 11th year, the city wall was broken through. That wasn't 9-11. That was the culmination of what I call their 9-11 when he took this young king, 18 years old, pulled him out, took him to Babylon, and put his uncle, renamed his uncle and put him in his place. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and took seats in the middle gate. That was not to gaze in the park at the beautiful scenery. It was to say, we are in charge. All the officials of the king of Babylon came and took the seats in the middle gate. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, wow, they fled. They left the city at night by the way of the king's garden, headed toward the Arabah. They're going to run away. The Arabah is the southern part. That's where uh, Beersheba is, Elsie and I have been down there quite a few times, and where Arad is, Arad is uh, maybe the closest place in, place in Israel over toward, uh, over the, the Dead Sea, and also, you know, what else down is down there is Demona, 
That's their underground nuclear facility, but that's not part of the scene here. That, they, they ran down that way to get away. They got caught. And as the scripture tells us, Nebuchadnezzar's general or Nebuchadnezzar, they caught Zedekiah. They caught his sons. They killed his sons with a sword before his eyes. Then they made him blind. They took his eyes out. And that was the last king of Judah. But we're going on. Let's focus on Jeremiah 39.2. And on the ninth day of the fourth month of Zedekiah's 11th year. That's 11 years after he was made a puppet. 11 years after Babylon started sneaking through. 11th year, the city wall was broken through. Their 9-11 was not when the city wall was broken through, but when the young king was taken out and in his place was a puppet to serve Babylon. So does that have any bearing on, on 2013 in the United States? Go figure. History repeats itself. Who was the the fellow that said, those who fail to learn from history will be condemned to relive it. What was his name? I quoted him a number of times. What's his name? Remember? (laughs) Um, Starts with an S, I think. But, uh, sorry? Yeah, yeah. I I pronounce it differently. Got it. Uh, Santiana, George. Doesn't start with that. George Santiana. Uh, those who fail to learn from history condemned to relive. Anyway, 11 years, four months, and nine days into the puppet, what happened? Some Sharpie, I, this was a bulletin that I sent around in January. And if any of you would like to get my bulletin, Elsie will oblige you with a sign-up sheet out there by the book table. But sign up. I sent this around in January, but I didn't have the full picture. I sent this much. And um, some Sharpie that I found on another website said, wait a minute. Wonder what happened 11 months, 11 years, 4 months, 9 days after 9-11. And some of you may know already, that count turned out to be either Sunday, January 20, or Monday, January 21, 2013, depending on whether 9-11 is counted as day one or the counting is begun the day after day one. Now, this is likely to happen with husband and wife. You start how many days after 9-11? And one of you might count on the day it happened. One of you might count it the next day, the day after to start counting. The Almighty's way ahead of you. He fixed it this year, so it doesn't matter. Because this year, this turns out, do I have this here? This, yeah, January 20th. You know what that is? That's inauguration day for the second round of Obama, 
It's inauguration day. It's supposed to be January the 20th, but this year, 2013, January 20th, 20th is on a Sunday, so they held it on Monday. So whether you start counting on that day or the day after, you hit it. The Almighty's way ahead of you. He's fixed it so either day's okay. If you get what I mean, that's a little aside in this thing. And uh, either, depending on, uh, on whether 9-11 is counted as day one or the counting has begun the day after 9-1, same thing. It just happens to be Barack Obama's inauguration for his second term. The irony is that inauguration, well, I already told you this, inauguration is always January 20 in 2013. It was a Sunday, so the inauguration day was not till, held until the 21st. Either day works the ninth day or the fourth month or the eleventh year. Just how precise, just how accurate is the Almighty in some of these prophetic things. Now, this is what did not come in my bulletin of uh, when I, I put this in the bulletin on my, my bulletins of how this came out to be inauguration day. Look at this thing. That's one thing. But next came an email from one fellow named Ovadia Avrahami of Samaria. Now, Ovadia is not really a, a strange name. Well, not if you're Hebrew. It's Obadiah. We say Obadiah. The, the Hebrews say, the Jews say Ovadiah. Ovad means follower. Yah means Yahweh. Yehovah, Jehovah, whatever. Follow Jehovah. That's the name, but that's what it means. It's a Hebrew name, Obadiah or Obadiah. Obadiah of Rahami of Samaria. I got an email from this fellow. Who's he? I didn't know. I didn't know him, as we say in Australia, from a bar of soap. This is what he said. His organization, Kol Hator, that means the voice of the turtle dove. It's from... Song of Solomon 2.12, I think. Kol That's kind of focused into Jerusalem's springtime. His organization is a think tank. Hebraic think tank calculates Obama's full name written in Hebrew to America, numerical 501. Hmm. Somebody suggested that's a tax form in America, so... <laughs> See what you can go on from that. But, uh, but uh, 501 is his calculation. Now, some of these sages, as I wrote in my first book, some of these guys have a few things to teach us. We have something to teach them, too. We know they're Messiah. They don't. I believe things are shaping up. That they will. They will. That number has signaled judgment or disaster to Hebrew sages for centuries. That's a bit far removed from American politics. So why did it happen again? A good prophecy, says the Lord. Well, he doesn't say the Lord. The Lord doesn't say this. But a good prophecy deserves to be used again. Why start over? The number signaled judgment or disaster to the Hebrew sages for centuries, a bit far removed from current American politics. So 
I started with Israel 101 as the basics, and we touched one thing of the basics, that it's not one of the nations, there's a lot more. But let's go to five, Israel 501, we'll dig a little bit deeper than Israel 101. Gematria, how many of you know what Gematria is? Anybody ever hear of Gematria? Maybe you pronounce it differently than my twisted tongue. Gematria, okay. Here we go for a lesson. It's a system used by the ancients before Christ in relating numerical values to language, but nothing has been so ironic and definitive as the Hebrew system in the scriptures. Each of the 22 Hebrew letters has a value from 1 to 400, actually by using the end of the of verbs, which the Hebrews do, it could go to above this, but the, the basic value is from 1 to 400, using, yielding a bizarre significance in scriptural cross-reference for over two millennia. And we can go, I can go, I got the blue letter Bible on here. We can go and they take the word judgment and I type that into the, the, the um, format of the blue, blue letter Bible and I can get how many times and where the word judgment occurs in both, both the Hebrew text and the, the New Testament and the what we call the Brit Hadishah, which is the New Covenant, the the, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. Uh, how many times judgment occurs? Or I can pick any any word, and it's like well, it's a concordance on our computers. Yeah, it's easy. But the Hebrew sages have a little bit of a different game. They do this numerically, and certain numbers have a repeatable value that they can make cross-text comparisons. I'll give you two of them shortly. Could it just be by chance that Barack Hussein Obama's full name and its Hebrew spelling adds up to 501? By chance? Good luck, bad luck are two concepts to me that are bad words, bad expressions. There is no such thing. Is it by chance that this guy's name adds up to 501? Non-political, non-American, scripture analyst Ovadio Avrahami thought it was hardly an accident. 501 to the sages is obvious. It is as unmistakable as 40 or 70 has meaning to any Bible scholar. 40 or 70. What's 40 meaning? What's for, in the Bible, what's 40 mean to us? 40 what? Days of fasting. Good. Sorry? 20? 40 years. Yeah, four, sorry, I don't hear. I do poorly enough when I'm closer. Uh, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of temptation uh, with Yeshua in the desert. 40 is a key word for testing or fasting or trial. What about 70? Does that have any meaning to us? 
captivity of Babylon, right? From, from, and that's in Daniel. Seventy disciples were sent out. And uh, also, I think it was 70 helpers. Uh, his, uh, uh, Moses' father, Jethro, father-in-law Jethro, he said, Moses, you've got too much to do. Get some wise men from each of the tribes. I think he had 70 for that. They had 70 also on the Sanhedrin. This is a number that has a meaning to us. And if I say, what does 811 mean? Nobody knows. If I change it one number, what's 911 mean? Everybody knows. So th- this is the system, except they've got a far broader background, a far broader uh, sheet of numbers to choose from. They might have one to, one to however many, I don't know, over a thousand. But um, anyway, where does, this, where does this 501 come from? It comes from adding the first letter of the first word. It's getting Mickey Mouse already. First letter of the first word in each of the Egypt's ten plagues. It has signaled judgment or disaster. Comparing that number with the plagues. It has signaled judgment or disaster to the sages for over two thousand years, a bit far removed from any U.S. politics. Nothing Mickey Mouse at all. But if anybody's got a little bit of doubts, I mean there would be hundreds of examples. There was the book, the, um, the Bible Code. The Bible Code is different, but it has sort of the same principle that something, and they use the scriptures, it's not the numerical things, but anyway, I read that, and some people said it's way off the wall, but uh, I'm not so sure that some of this was not coded information, and we'll get on to this. Uh, let's go on. That's why Ovadia Avrahami was so stirred by my January bulletin, because what I had come up with Inauguration Day, from counting those years, months, and days in Jeremiah 2, he had come up with by Gematria to 501. So, could, however, could a Gematria be just a numerical sleight of hand? Some people might say so, but wait a minute. I said this was from comparing scriptures, didn't I? How many of you know that you can take one verse of scripture and bend it all out of shape and make a cult? You can take scripture and you can twist it anyway. That's why the scriptures say two or three witnesses, at least. And when you get 10 or 15, you really know you got something. What is repeated to us, repeated and repeated, has something. So I presume, yes, gematria could be used as a trick as a ruse, but let, let, let's look at a couple more before we have to go. Two other tested re, results involve the forced exit from Gaza of 23 Jewish communities in 2005. I don't know how many of you follow this. It was only to be follow, rewarded, the evacuation of Jewish communities only rewarded by some 20,000 Katusha rockets over the next seven years. From 05 to 2013, 
fired upon the Jewish civilians in the Negev. And this was the idea that the kings of the earth had. Israel, if you only get out of Gaza, those terrorists are going to love you at the end of the game. They didn't. They fired 20,000 rockets in the next seven years. And the story, we got to, as a president, the story of Jacob, he had four wives, but the first two were, well, two of them were handmaidens, but the first two, there was always some tensions. That's why the New Testament says you better stick with one, brothers. Anyway, uh, there was always some trouble. And Leah always felt bad. Oh, I hit this. Sorry for anybody on the tape. I, I smote my breast. A- anyway, um, the, um, uh, Leah was always trying to get her husband's attention first. And maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe if I do something, he'll like me. Whatever the situation, whether it's Gaza or Leah and, and, and Rachel, it doesn't work. If you get your Jewish communities, there's 23 Jewish communities in Gaza. It was the fruit basket and the vegetable basket and the flower basket of Israel, and they were sending these to Europe. So they got the 23 communities out. These are some of the most God-fearing Jews. They don't know Yeshua yet. I always say yet. Because in prophecy, I see it coming. They always say yet. I say yet. They got these communities out. Out came the rockets. They smashed the hot houses. They smashed the greenhouses. They put, they, put rock, uh, they put their rocket launchers in place. And they started shooting in places like Sederot. I visited Cedro about two months ago, met the mayor and what they had to put up with after the brainstormers pulled the communities out of Gaza. Adil Sharon was the, the prime minister in charge. He was a tough guy, but there was one time he wasn't thinking, and he said, get him out of Gaza. I don't pick on Obama. Obama's hardly my favorite leader, but the others made a few mistakes too. George Bush, Condoleezza Rice were pushing Israel to get out of Gaza. Give them Gaza. And then they'll make peace with you. They have one agenda. Kill the Jews. Drive them into the sea. And it didn't work. And somebody, uh, Gib Ledbetter, Brother Gib, asked me the other day if I saw about this new peace treaty that's coming up. And uh, I'd seen a bit about it. I had finally a chance to check on it. I don't think it's going to come to anything. None of the pundits, the columnists, think anything's going to happen because the, the... the Islamists, the Palestinians, do not want to make peace with Israel. The only good Israeli is a dead Israeli in their books, their holy books. They didn't make this up. They got it from somebody else. 
a long time ago. The only good Israeli is a dead Israeli, and they are not about to make peace. We're waiting for the Prince of Peace. There's prophecies in Zechariah that I yet keep an eye on, but it's an interesting place. Can I tell you a quick one here before I wind this up? Um, after the second, I just read about this. After the destruction of the second temple, this was, this was, this was um, Herod's temple, but it was, uh, what was his, um, somebody help me. I got a senior moment. No, it's an intellectual overload. Uh, who, who built the second temple? Um, hmm? No, 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 no. That's the first one. Um, it, it's in, um, I know it as well as I, as, as I know David's name back here. But, uh, it starts with a U, I think. Not Ulysses, but. Huh? No, he built the second temple. Uh, he saw all those stones laying around. He built the second temple. And then Herod remodeled it. They called it Herod's temple. And then that was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. And the Jews were sitting there in panic and pain. And they saw this little fox running across. And it made them cry. Weep, wail. Look at our temple. And it. A wild beast uh, catches rats and he's running across our temple. And a famous rabbi named Akiva laughed. He said, what is the matter with you? And he said, this first prophecy came through with our disobedience. Meaning the final prophecy of our restoration is sure to follow. Got that? We got problems here because the first prophecy is you're going to get it as far as decadent people. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I have judgment for you. But if that prophecy comes, the restoration of God's people, the kingdom is sure to come. We know or should know that if we die, we're going to immediately in the presence of the Lord. But other things are coming too, namely the end of days. Some of us think, be nice to still hang around till Jesus comes back. Anybody ever hear think that? Am I the only one? <laughs> Two of us. <laughs> okay. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I'll prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But anyway, this first disaster came. I got off the track here. But anyway, this is Gaza. They took them out of there. Now let's go to the next thing. Gematria, the numerical sum of Katrina's Hebraic script. Who named, who named this, this storm over Louisiana, over New Orleans? Who named that? The weatherman? I don't know. And it's 
take Katrina, put it in Hebrew lettering, and it ends up in 374. So the sages get to looking at a combination of 374. And the first one they came to in Genesis 50, 17, quote, they have done you evil, end of quote. That was from Joseph's brothers doing his, him evil, and that the exact comatria matches Katrina. They have done you evil. 23 communities. Another one, Exodus 14, 15. It's Exodus 14, 16. I'm not sure. The, the numbering system has uh, one difference in either Hebrew or the English, but it's either 14, 15 or 14, 16. The sea upon the land, that was taken from, from uh, where Moshe, from Moses, crossed the Red Sea. And there was water over the ground. And that's what happened with Katrina. It was in judgment of a bad decision of doing to your own people what you shouldn't have been doing to your own people and give them to Israel's enemy. enemy. Amalek is spoken of, as we say, Satan. They say Amalek, though they say Hasatan or the Satan too. But anyway, these two texts were 374 and the sages found this and they say that's it. A disaster has been done to the Jewish people. And some of the Jews, strong God-fearers, they do not know Yeshua yet, but they are still in the plan to make the message known. And in the end of days, He's got a plan for all of us, Jew and Gentile, through the blood of the Lamb. We need to get the word out. But a lot of people aren't listening. We still try. But the fact is, whatever we do will be overridden with the Ancient of Days who has his plans for the millennium. And that might be quicker than what some of the philosophers told us would happen. So, is this hocus pocus? 374, the sea on the land, they have done you evil. Katrina, some of these Jews still, we, we, Elsie and I know a lot of these people. They're still not settled yet. They were taken out of nice houses, like you have. And they're living a caravan, a trailer or something. But they haven't been replaced, like reinstated to some other situation, like uh, they were promised. It's not the kingdom of heaven over there yet. There's a lot of problems. It's Israel, warts and all. But I see each step I take, he's got his hand in it. Look at the Syrians. Right now, of course, this can change in a moment. But all around them, Egypt, Syria, Afghanistan, they're killing each other, just like the Midianites. So what else is new? It's Shiites versus Sunnis. And America is helping them. And then there's the, the um, Taliban and the, the um, Al-Qaeda and all these guys. 
and they're trying to throw, overthrow Bashar Assad. He's no Sunday school teacher. He's no saint. He's no angel. But these guys are killing each other of that are fighting against him and the whole thing. But Israel is sitting there kind of nervous, but also kind of calm in the center of this tsunami of bloodshed and hatred. So I gave you one insight of Gamatria. Maybe it's okay, maybe it's not, but if you kind of skeptical about it, an eye-opener to the skeptics. John 21 has bothered me for years. Early in the morning, Jesus stood up. You know that this is after the resurrection. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples, get this, did not realize that it was Jesus or Yeshua. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul. They were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Didn't know it at first. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. He jumped into the water. On the, the other disciples followed in the boat, fought, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, of burning coals, and there with the fish on it and some bread, Yeshua said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. We all know that one. Next one. But we wonder at the number. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, so many, the net was not torn. But my problem for 10, 10 sorry, for four decades, 40 years, of my translation days was why in the world 153? If Brother David goes fishing, and I say, how many did you get? I doubt if he'll say 153. He might say nine nice ones, or two, or even as many as 20. But about then, fishermen start, quit counting, and they start giving you the weight or something. How many barrels full? 153. If 153 is in Scripture, I know it's got a meaning. Other people have tried to work this out. They said that's the... The number of, he said, that, that, that's the number of nations there were at that time. I tell you, I won't buy that one. We know both from scripture and even in fishing that a number such as such must have some significance. But that has bothered me for, uh, that, that, that's bothered me for uh, at least 40 years. What's it mean? Ani Elohim. Anybody know any Hebrew? You know what Ani is? I am. Elohim? God. That's the most generic name for God. We've got other names. We've got Jehovah. We've got Adonai. We've got uh, Yahweh. 
That's Jehovah. Not long ago, I found the answer in Gematria. Ani equals 61. A is 1. N is called Nun. N-U-N in Hebrew. I is called Yod. Nun is, is 50. Yod is 10. Ani, Aleph is 1, 61. Elohim, by the same study, they've got charts, 92. Added together, Ani Elohim, a perfect 153. Ani Elohim in Hebrew is, I am God. They didn't know who that was on the shore. Now, I'm thinking this thing through. Those fishermen were not into Gematria, I'm sure. They worked on Revelation. John says, it's the Lord. Peter, it's the Lord. He got it in here. Maybe that Ani Elohim in Gematria is for people later like us today. Get the picture. I am God. Ani Elohim. And I'm going to close with this. The same message is for us today in every circumstance. No matter what happens in this government, no matter how many Americans come to Canada to flood you guys out, (laughs) no matter what comes off in the corruption, the judgment on the corruption in this world, Ani Elohim still stands there and like the little fox around across the stones. This, this, this very prominent rabbi laughed. This is not a laughing matter, Akiva. What are you laughing for? If this prophecy of judgment came true, the end of it is also going to come true. Our Messiah is coming. A lot of people have lived and died since then. A lot of people may live and die before our Messiah comes. But how? Uh, There's only one way to be saved, and that's through the blood of the Lamb. But how was Abraham saved? Looking forward to the blood of the Lamb. And how are some of the rest of our friends We could get very excited that if we don't take them by the lapels and shake them and say, believe. I got a few stories about this too. Take them by the lapels and shake them that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going straight to hell. He has ways and means to reveal himself. And and I, I don't have the time to go into some of this now. But I see a plan unfolding through Abraham through the Lord Jesus, through the rejection, through the going out to the Gentiles, through the coming back and including the Gentiles into the kingdom of the Most High. We had things this morning about, in the lesson this morning, but about, um, what was the name of the lesson? It was about the The ver- the, there was one. Ver- oh, sorry. No, not the, there's one word here about growth, 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 growth. And there is so much more to learn.
when we cross the Jordan. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what's going to enter into the heart of man. And we are a part of a big plan. Hang in there, brethren. Hang in there. Because as a little fox ran over the stones, as one prophecy was fulfilled way back, and we see trouble coming. It is coming. But it is not something to be afraid of. It's someone to communicate with. Memorize the 91st Psalm and others like it. He will not fail us. It's time is up. I thought that my wife told me there would be a flood of people in here at this time.